0: Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 121 two episodes in one week? Absolutely. You know, I had a couple days where I was sitting on the couch and I'm I'm watching the news nonstop. And you know what? The coronavirus is going to be a part of our lives for the next few months, at least. But I'm not going to let it consume my life. I will practice social distancing. I'll be smart when I need to venture out for more food and supplies. But I'm not slowing down here at the back of the range. I'm going to try and put out more and more episodes. If there's a guest that you have wanted me to interview... Reach out to me on social media. Everything is on the table. You can follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The handle is The Back of the Range Podcast. The website is thebackoftherange.com. Every single episode that I have done is available to listen to at any time. So our guest on this episode is Austin Squires from Union, Kentucky, former All-American from the University of Cincinnati. Austin wrapped up his All American career at Cincy and his amateur career after his quarterfinalist showing at the 2019 U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst. That wasn't a fluke. He was also a quarterfinalist at the 2018 U.S. Amateur at Pebble Beach. Austin was trending in the right direction before the coronavirus put a halt to professional golf. He has wrapped up Latin America Tour and McKenzie Tour status, and after speaking with him, I get the feeling that he's going to find great success there and move his way up the ranks. Lots of great information in this episode. You know, he's a 22-year-old kid that works hard. He's learned from his amateur and collegiate experiences. A lot has been made of the breakout stars like Hovland, Wolf, and Morikawa, and rightly so. But there are so many talented guys working their way up the ranks that are going to make it to the PGA Tour. I think Austin Squires is one of those guys. It was a blast to get to know him during our conversation. And I think you'll enjoy getting to know him as well. Now, as I said in the previous episode, I'm going to mention to you, the listener, when these episodes were recorded and as well as when they actually post. So this was recorded yesterday, Tuesday, March 17th. This one is posting a day after Wednesday, March 18th. So Austin, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you?
1: I'm great. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, um... You know, you you are the first episode recorded after the, I guess, March 12th, March 13th, when sports basically shut down all over the world, when everything pretty much has sh- shut down all over the world due to coronavirus. So I'm sorry to put you in that spot where you're the first you're the first person I speak to in this new reality that's uh, that is the world. What, what are you doing to stay sane? I mean, I only were, I know we're only just like a couple of days into this, but you're in Orlando. So what are you doing to keep sane right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, golf courses are still open right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen. So I'm um, just trying to get as much practice as, in as I can, but I'm not really going too hard at it because I don't know what next few weeks are going to look like. Um, but yeah, just, just kind of chilling, just, practicing and hanging out with friends trying to take as much precaution as I can without going crazy yeah um um, so just you know just hanging out just being a 22 year old
0: (laughs) yeah good luck with that I mean it's uh being a 22 year old right now I mean this is St. Patrick's Day I mean you should be I don't know drinking green beer and having fun with your friends and, and partying or doing something um do you even remember what i mean what was the big last party you went to um actually
1: on sunday night we went out to uh place in winter garden up here the whole enchilada one of our one of our buddies from northern island was flying out on monday so we all got together and kind of like cel- celebrated him and just just had a good time so that was the last time but before that i mean it was just in kind of in tournament mode so didn't really have much time off to really go out so Anytime I'm home, I'm just chilling. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll, we'll talk about that tournament. I, I know that you're referencing, you know, the Corn Fairy start. And then obviously, most importantly, you, you have a card locked up for when, when things get back going. You have a card locked up for the uh, Latin America Tour. So we're going to talk about that. And, you know, I want to kind of start at the beginning where, um, or at least... Early when you got into the game, you know Union, Kentucky, population six thousand people, right on the border of Northern Kentucky. So, how did you get into the game? Walk me through, uh, walk us through a little bit about your start in the game.
1: You know, I pretty much had a golf club in my in my hands my entire life. But um, growing up, I played all the sports, you know, basketball, football, soccer. You know, I was just outdoors all the time. You know, not much, not much to do but be outdoors in Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, so just play with my dad growing up and, you know, I was kind of interested, but, you know, I just wanted to play other sports. Um, and then when I was 11, my dad signed me up for the seven up junior tour, which was Northern Kentucky's kind of just, um, junior tour where they had age divisions and you just play all the, all the local courses. And that was really when I got, I got the bug, um, just playing with other, other kids, my age and kind of, competing against them rather than just going out with dad you know I, I love playing with my dad but playing with with your peers and competing against them adds a little a little uh, a little more fun to it if you will oh yeah um, so so that was really when things started to ramp up so um, just played played that kind of local stuff uh, for a couple years and then when I was probably 13 is when I started traveling a little bit you know going further south in Kentucky and playing a few tournaments in the winter in Florida, um, and then get into AJGS in, in high school. I wouldn't say I was late, but, you know, you hear of all these kids playing playing tournaments when they're seven or eight, and right. I, I kind of didn't really get ramped up until I was, like, 11 to 13.
0: And you said that you, you know, played a lot with your dad and obviously got into playing, you know, with, with kids your age, but do you remember the first time you maybe had a chance to beat your dad or – what that did he let you win or like give me walk me through like how you because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking us to this thing where basically you're the youngest player to ever win the North Kentucky men's amateur. You won it at 16. So I'm kind of curious. And I think a lot of listeners would be curious. How do you get the winning mindset that early?
1: My dad, I'm not sure the first time I beat my dad, actually, but my dad actually takes pride in saying that the last time he beat me was when I was 12.
0: okay all right
1: so that was the last time he beat me and but I'm not sure the first time that I beat him actually
0: so you're you're playing these junior events you you go on uh, this great success and I always like to ask about you know what was your setup as a kid were you kind of a you know kid that picked the range at a public course or did you have a nice junior program at a club so talk to me about Triple Crown Country Club, which, of course, has to be named that when you're that close and when you're in Kentucky. Um, so so t- talk to me through your, your setup at Triple Crown.
1: Yeah, well, actually, uh, before so I came to Triple Crown when I was a freshman in high school. And so before that, I was actually at a course called e- Eagle Creek Country Club, which is a little south okay. of where I was at and. And we put we put the country in in country club.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know,
1: people okay. are rolling up in jeans and a T shirt. Yes. Just good old boys having a good time. I love so golf
0: like
1: that. Yeah, and our, our range was kind of just like a a par three tee box and then it had like three flags and so like had to pay for balls. So I didn't I didn't hit a lot of golf balls growing up. You know, I just go out and play all day. My parents would drop me off at the course and um Hang out with a few buddies and just just play all day. And, and sometimes I'd have a few few uh, range sessions where I'd just actually go out onto the range, not on the tee box, and just hit balls at the flags. Oh, okay. When I was out on the range, yeah. So that was kind of my way because instead of just paying for a a bucket of balls, I'd I'd go out and onto the range and just hit like however many balls I could onto the range. Um, but it was course was six thousand yards and when i was starting to it was great to learn you know all the facets of the game at a young age but when i got to freshman year i was like all right like my game's not gonna get to the next level if i stay here so uh we moved over to triple crown uh well we didn't move we actually just changed changed clubs and actually triple crown is much closer to my house um than eagle creek was but um yeah so we went we went over there my freshman year. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a golf cart community. So like it's a neighborhood with a golf course in it. You know, everyone knows everyone just take you, take your golf cart to the course and just have a good time. Um, but there's, it's, it's a great course. Um, Kentucky opens there this year. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you
0: you might, uh, you going to add that to your schedule if you can.
1: Yeah. If I can, it's, it's in the summer and I, I just got, Canada status as well. So I'm gonna kind of look at things and see what happens with that. So if if schedule allows, I'd I'd love to play in that. Just I mean, it'd be an awesome time and be at home. So if schedule allows, I'd love to play in that for sure.
0: You mentioned, you know, you put the country in country club at Eagle Creek and I'm just thinking about just like, you know, being twelve or thirteen and the cast of characters that you probably met and played golf with. I'm guessing you're playing with older guys that may or may not roll up with their own cooler of beer. Um, Can you you think about maybe one or two characters that probably every club like this has characters like that? Um, I'm sure there's got to be a casual game that you've played in that you're like, I can't believe I'm playing with this guy. (laughs) um you know there wasn't a lot of like money games per se at eagle creek but there was
1: always you know that like crowd of older guys that were just like you know just love to see you hit the ball and and just would like kind of take you under your wing and you know just just good old boys out in the country and just have a good time you know you not really many rules just i mean if you're not having fun don't be out there
0: there you go (laughs) there you go so so you win the you win the Kentucky Northern Kentucky Men's Amateur at age 16. I'm guessing that gets you all the attention you need in order to find a college that's going to want you on their team. You end up going to Cincinnati. Um you're again, you're you're in this area right next to, you know, Cincy, you're right next to, you know, Indianapolis. You're just in this this hub of D1 schools. Was it always going to be Cincinnati or how did that happen?
1: You know, actually I I grew up a really big uh Wildcat fan being from Kentucky you yeah. know my my grandparents have uh season tickets and and so like that was kind of my school and growing up being really close to Cincinnati I kind of knew all the guys on the Cincinnati team and um you know where it wasn't really like the first choice on my radar because um, the, the program wasn't in a great spot um but in the recruiting process like midway through high school We got a new AD and um, the scholarships were ramped up. And so um, that brought in new recruits and, you know, the program was getting better and kind of just realized that if I wanted to take my game to the next level and to the places I wanted to go, then Cincinnati was probably the place because of the experience that coach Martin has. So like with, what, what he has done with the program at Cincinnati, I could kind of see the direction it was heading in um, and just like each year getting better. It kind of just evolved into the place that I wanted to go and the place that could take me to the next level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming that, so you know that playing professionally is something that you want to do. You make this, uh, make this leap to Cincinnati and you know, I, I'm looking at your stats. I'm trying to see some sort of a trend or see something that jumps out And normally, I'm not a stats guy where I'm saying, okay, I'll just depend on the stats to pretend that I know a player. I'm not, that's kind of not what I like to do when I learn more about uh, guests that come on the podcast. But I can't help but notice that your freshman year, your average, your stroke average is 76. And Mm -hmm. then sophomore year, it drops to 71.9. So that's a huge jump from freshman to sophomore year. Was there a big thing that changed? Because it looks like that whatever went down between your freshman and sophomore year really set you on this path to finish out your career there and have great success. So can you remember back to what occurred between freshman and sophomore year that, that put you on this, on this good path?
1: Absolutely. Um, it was a culmination of things for sure. Um, so like coming, coming into college my freshman year and all throughout my junior career, I was, I was one of those players that, um, had a lot of potential, and could put up a good score, but couldn't really do it consistently. And it was kind of like, why, why is this happening? Like, right. why can I, why can I shoot a 67 here and the next day it's 80? Like, why is there no consistency? Um, and so when I, when I got to school my freshman year, um, I was kind of exposed and me and, me and Coach Martin kind of got down to the, to the thick of it. And my, my short game and course management were, were just not good for lack of a better term, they, they needed a lot of work. Um, and so a, a lot, we got, I got a little better during my freshman year, but it was kind of tournament mode. So it's not like just like full out grinding and you can get a whole lot better. But over, over summer was really when, uh, me and me and coach put a lot of work in because we met, we met, I mean, luckily I was living in Northern Kentucky. So I, I had the option to meet with him, every day of the week if i wanted to but uh we met uh once a week and just specifically worked on on short game putting and just like you know the, the fundamentals of the game because i could always i could always hit the ball pretty well but if i wasn't putting well or if i was or if i wasn't hitting it well like there i had no chance pretty much okay. so i kind of i basically learned how to play golf my my freshman and after my freshman year in that summer um and then like seeing my short game change and like learning how to map out a course and proper strategy kind of gave me more confidence going into sophomore year. And it was like, it just made the game so much easier.
0: So you said a lot of things there and I want to, add, I want to follow up on a couple of things you mentioned about your short game. So are we talking about fundamentals of how to hit shots or is it also about learning what are the right shots to hit whether it be, you know, keeping the ball lower, adding spin, less spin. Uh, tell me, if you can, tell me a little bit about specifically what changed in your short game.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a mixture of things. Um, I think a lot of it was learning how to practice. Um, Cause you know, when I was in, when I was in junior golf, I just, I just go to the, the chipping green and, you know, hit the flop shots or hit the spinners, you know, and, right. I didn't really ever practice like the, the actual shots that you have most of the time, like the simple bump and runs where you should get up and down, you know, 90% of the time to where um, just learning how to practice those and uh, was was a big part of it. So um, definitely technique with, with that. And then also like knowing when to play which shot um, just kind of helping my imagination in that, that regard.
0: Okay. You know, you, you, work on this, you improve your game. So let's, let's perhaps just to further illustrate something for listeners. So maybe as a junior or in your freshman year, before you really make this, this change to your approach to the game, you know, if I give you like just a a 415 yard par four, pretty much straight away, maybe a couple of fairway bunkers out there. um, Are you just saying, okay, that's driver, just bang it and find it and just put it on the green. Or are you, now are you looking at okay, um, where's the pin and what's the wind doing and where, where, where are my misses? How do you chart out a course in, in your newfound uh, approach?
1: In a practice round, I'll probably look at every carry yardage on the bunkers and then from there, what club I want to hit off the tee and then shape. Um, so basically, if I'm on the tee, I'll ask myself, okay, what's, what's the club that's, that's going to get me in the fairway most of the time? Uh, and then I'll, I'll make decisions from there, and then I'll get in the fairway and be like, "Okay, if the pin's here, where do I need to be?" And then just kind of map it out that way. Um, but most of the time in practice rounds, I'm looking at my yardage book and figuring out the distances where I can I can hit a a certain club and I can still miss it, but it creates no trouble for me.
0: Okay, so you're you're kind of taking it from the hole backwards and putting yourself in the. Be- be- in the best position possible
1: exactly where when i was growing up in high school i would just leave my i'd get a yardage book and i'd leave it in my bag I wouldn't even look at it during Interesting. the round
0: okay yeah, <laughs> yeah i bet uh, so i'm assuming coach would always want to see the yardage book out during practice rounds
1: oh yeah my my first my first tournament um in college i was walking and coach made me get my yardage book out and it got so tiring, like unzipping my bag, taking the yardage book out, looking at it and then putting it back and just that routine. I was like, all right, like, let's just keep it in our pocket. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) What, uh, so what would you say is probably one of your, uh, one of coach Martin's, um, rules that just you could not break when you're at Cincinnati? Probably
1: a big one that, um, we always kind of like, Joked about on the team, um, or kind of when somebody did it, it'd be kind of like funny, but at the same time not, because then you're like, oh crap. It was uh, we were never allowed to wear a backwards hat.
0: Okay, I can see that. So
1: we always we always had to ca- have have the cat forward, you know, because just got to be respectful, integrity of sure. the game, and so that was that was something that saw a kid roll up to practice with a backwards hat and be like, oh, he's about to get it. Oh boy. <laughs> nice.
0: um, you know you you graduated you your eligibility obviously uh, you you graduated then you went on to the USAM that year and that was your last amateur event but have you spoken to any of the guys um, whether they're on the team now or maybe other guys that are still playing amateur golf um, that obviously their seasons are over they're not going to be able to play for an actual championship have you spoken to anyone about that yet
1: yeah I've I've talked to a few of the guys and it's it's crazy because they were actually down here, um, in Orlando. Um, I guess that was late February. So, I mean, just a couple weeks ago with full intentions of, of playing the rest of the season and now it's, now it's over. So I talked to a few of them and it's just, I'm, I mean, my heart feels for them because they were really excited to get the season going and it's just gone.
0: Well, you had a, you had a phenomenal career at Cincinnati. I, I, you know, all-American career, uh, you know, uh, American Athletic Conference Player of the Year as a sophomore. Obviously, that, that hard work you put in really paid off. I want to talk a little bit about the U.S. Amateur because, you know, you, you qualified for it in, in 2017 at LACC, you qualified again for it in 2018, and you went back-to-back back in your qualifiers, and, you know, I spoke to uh, Sahih Thigala at, uh, at Pepperdine about qualifiers when I have one on the podcast, and he had great success, and and you know something about qualifiers. Now you you got in back to back years in the USA, which is 36 holes, very tough qualifier, and you got in at the same club two years in a row, Coldstream Country Club. So was this club your own only option?
1: Well, actually, um, with the Cincinnati Golf Team, that was that was our home course. Um, so, so yeah, it was. I mean, honestly, had if you will, an unfair advantage of <laughs> over other players at that course. Sure. Um, just, I mean play it every day so that was the main reason why we went out there um and honestly cincinnati qualifiers in themselves are are fantastic um because we for u.s open locals we have makatiwa which is the biggest qualifier in the nation for u.s open locals and i mean last year only one person shot shot even and was the medalist and and got out yeah and then um Coldstreaming. We have two two USM qualifiers in Coldstream and Camargo, and usually right around even to five under for thirty six holes gets out. So I mean, if you're just playing solid golf around that area, you can you can do some damage in some qualifiers.
0: Well, we're gonna talk about twenty nineteen at Pinehurst. There's, I think, we could probably fill up an entire episode with uh, with what happened to you there um, at, at Pinehurst. But I I wanna before I. Before we go that direction, let's talk about 2018. You you played in the US Amateur. It was at Pebble Beach. Um, at that moment, best course you've ever seen in your life or you know, walk me through that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was I you know, going into it, I was I always thought that like Pebble might have been like a little overhyped for because of the views and I was like, "You know what? Like I'm I'm I just love like a golf course. Like I don't really care about the views as much." And then I went there and I was like, Oh, my goodness. I take back (laughs) everything I said. Like, this is incredible. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And it was just kind of like an out of body experience where like, I was just having fun the whole week. Like, no matter what happened, I was having fun, like even getting smoked by Victor. Well, loving it.
0: <laughs> see, see, that's perfect. You know, I love it when a guest brings up a topic that I feel I might need to tiptoe around. But since you brought it up, I have to follow up on this. Um, yeah, you lost to Victor Hovland, 7-6. and six, And I looked at the actual scores, and, and he ran off a, a hell of a lot of birdies. But is that just a case where you're just like, all right, well, um, I'm going to get smoked here. There's not a whole lot I can do about it. <laughs> I mean, is that yeah, pretty much just... it? I mean, just like, all right, well. Yeah, because I mean, every match I had from
1: the round of 32, round of 32 and 16, they were both close matches. I mean, I played 37 holes the day prior. And so I wasn't necessarily expecting uh, Victor to come out here and win holes two through eight. But that's what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was pretty much just playing defense all day. You know, there was never really a position where I could put any pressure on him because he... You know, we, we both hit it pretty well. I mean, he obviously hit it a lot better than I did. Um but I mean I was probably hit there was probably two holes on the front nine where I just I just pretty much gave to him. I had a three putt on five and I hit the water on, on um six. So I pretty much just gave him those holes. But um every other hole I was pretty much just putting it to fifteen feet and he'd either be just outside of me. And make his putt, and then so I'd have to make my 15 footer, or he'd stick it, and I'd have to make my 15 footer. So the whole day, I was pretty much just trying to make a 10 to 15 footer to have holes, and obviously, I, did, I was not doing that. But yeah, um, yeah, I, he, I didn't get skunked though. He uh, or I'm, I birdied 10, so <laughs> so I got that on him.
0: There you go. Did you? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm looking at the names that played in that USAM, and it's just. For anyone that follows the PGA Tour, if you want to see who's going to be on the PGA Tour in the next like two or three years, just go look down the list of names that are playing in the USM. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, I'm looking at some of the names that that were there that year. I mean, even even you know before you lost to to Hovland, you beat Luis Gagne, who who made it to the US uh, made it to the US Open that year, I believe, or or what. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just these incredible names that are there. So it might be kind of an easy question, looking at what Victor's doing now, but just to kind of talk about the depth of the field of U.S. amateur, you know, when you saw what Victor was doing and he had this incredible week, but is he that much better than everyone else in the field, or is it just that he's the one that got through and then parlayed it into the professional ranks?
1: You know, he, what I picked up from his game was how disciplined he was in his game plan and how good at executing his game plan he was. Cause I mean, if you look at his stats, he just, he just drives, drives the crap out of it. And, you know, just, I feel like he just executes what he's trying to do at such a high level. You know, he's not super flashy with what he does. He doesn't really do anything that's like better than everything else. He just does it so consistently, you know? Um, so that was kind of what I took from his game, um, when he was being so, um, mean to me on the golf course.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's no other way to put it. He just ran through, and, I mean, of course, he did the same thing to bling in the final. So, I mean, he yeah. did, he'd bling six and five. And, um, yeah, I, and, and that, that match he had with Cole Hammer in the semis, I mean, that thing was uh, that, that was an epic one. But you, you go you go back-to-back, back, so this was not your your first and only quarterfinalist appearance in the USAM. You get back. Obviously, you don't have to do qualifying, so you're back to the USAM for Pinehurst. How much of a different experience is it going to a USAM and able to put that on your calendar knowing you don't have to go through the qualifier?
1: That was the reason why I decided to stay amateur because I knew for sure that I was going to be playing in the US amateur because if I if I would have had to go back to qualifier, there's a chance I, I play Canadian Q School in the in the spring and then maybe get status and then turn professional. Um, so the, the fact that I, I was exempt for it and knew that I was going to be playing and it kind of made my decision to just take the summer to to play amateur golf and have a awesome amateur schedule and just kind of have a have a good time before turning professional
0: you get to pinehurst and you know there's <laughs> i'm I'm laughing just because of just the craziness of the fact that you know there's always this playoff to figure out who gets the you know the the 60 the 60 seeds, whether it's 60 through 64, maybe it's more than that. But this year it was 27 for three, which is just insane. And you end up outlasting a lot of guys, you know, Cole Hammer, Alex Smalley, Walker Cuppers, you got Kevin O'Connell, who's a U.S. mid amateur Champion. You have Abula, the uh, the British Am Champ from Auburn. You have all these guys in this big group, and it's 27 for three. And you get in as a 64 seed. And then you got to face uh, the number one seed, which is uh, Brandon Wu, another Walker cover. But before we talk about that match, I had a lot of friends reaching out to me, not understanding why it took so damn long to get 27 players through and figure out who would be the three guys to get the 62, three and four seeds. As someone that went through it, can you, you know, talk about what that day was like starting? You know, when did you wake up for this thing? When did this thing start?
1: Yeah, so actually, the stroke play was uh, uh, was delayed because they didn't get it in uh, the second day. So they were finishing up the next morning, and so I wasn't gonna be. Sh- I wasn't sure yet if I was gonna be in a playoff or not because it was kind of hovering between four and five. So I just kind of, I just kind of woke up when the guys went out there, got ready, and started warming up, assuming I was gonna be in a in a playoff. And then once guys were finishing kind of realized that it was going to be at five and I think they said it was going to be like a a nine thirty start um and I was I was the first one off so I went off at at nine thirty or whatever time it was and so we went off in a foursome and then we we all played the first hole and then you and then you had to wait for you know I guess the 23 other players to to come through so everyone played one hole and we're an hour later it was so, so it was
0: just so what do you it was do crazy. yeah so so you play you know you play the hole and you know i you get through and you do this playoff and you know you make you make par in the first one it's a par four and like what do you do for the next hour and then you had to do this like three three other times so, yeah so yeah, what you do you, know. are you just talking to people or are you checking your phone are you able to hit balls even i mean what what do you do
1: well, so we finished the first hole and then, you know, just waiting for everyone to come through. And I, I'm thinking, okay, the, the first hole is not that hard. Um, and so I was thinking I made par, so there's got to be two other guys or three other guys to, to make birdie. And I was, I was thinking I was going to head home. So I was just kind of hang out with my family, just seeing what, what would happen. Um, but in that time being, I was just trying to stretch and, and stay loose in, in case there is a, a next hole or, or whatever. So I'm not stepping up on that, for, on that next tee box and my back's cracking, right. my back swing. So it was just a lot of stretching and just trying to stay loose as possible.
0: So that, that playoff takes, I guess, about three and a half hours. You, you get through your, the 64th seed. You had to go four holes to get this and then, now your big treat, your big reward for outlasting this three and a half hour, you know, marathon is you get to play Brandon Wu coming off a national championship at Stanford, and you're the 64 seed. You are the University of Maryland, Baltimore County going up against Virginia, and you actually pull this off and you beat Wu. For someone that's as competitive as you are, and you want to play professionally. What is a lesson that you take away from not just beating him, but then you you beat Mazzoli, you beat John Pock in round sixteen? But what was maybe a lesson that you took away from that U.S. Amateur that maybe was more beneficial than you know getting in as the 32 seed and and getting the same result?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely drew a lot of confidence from that because I mean, I pl- I went up against some fantastic players, and it was a, it was a blast doing that for sure. Um, I think the the main lesson, if you will, that, that I learned was to just keep playing, and I mean, it's so cliche, but uh, just to stay patient because there are so many situations, and Pinehurst does this to you where you can just get really impatient and just kind of almost fold. Where I just I just stayed really patient that week, and it just kind of everything fell in my favor, um, except for I actually. There was one situation where I did not stay patient. And that was the last, last five holes of stroke play. Okay. Um, so I was, I was even par with five holes to go and probably top 15, top 20. Cause I mean, the scores were so high that week and yeah. I, I played my last five holes five over to finish at five over. So I dropped from like top 15 to I think I was 147 when I finished and just, I was just trying to get in the clubhouse, you know, just wasn't being very patient and so that kind of that was probably a good thing because then that kind of spurred me on into match play to just kind of just kind of stay in the process and you know just take care of what
0: i can take care of sure like i said just this great i bet you just had had a blast that summer playing all these fantastic amateur events i think you played the son of hannah played uh played the western played northeast um which obviously let's let's skip the U.S. Amateur. But uh, we'll put that in a separate category. Which um, which amateur tournament are you going to miss the most?
1: You know, probably probably the two weeks two week stretch of Sunny Hannah and Northeast. Those those two events are so awesome. Which is, I mean, they spoil you so much, you know? and <laughs> it, it makes you it makes you miss it so much when you're a professional golf and you gotta you gotta pay for everything. Where you go to these amateur tournaments and they put you up in an awesome house with an awesome family and then like every meal's taken care of and, and like it honestly just feels like a vacation more than it does a golf tournament but yeah those two events because i mean sunny hannah tilling half design that course is pure greens are crazy and lightning speed and then you go up to juana Moise and donald ross and honestly that that course is if not my favorite it's it's one of my favorites that i've played just because it's going to Last forever, no matter how far everyone's hitting it. It's, I mean, par sixty nine, not that long, but you still gotta, you gotta, you gotta play some golf and and be have a short game around that course, and it's just so cool.
0: You end your amateur career. You uh, now are embarking on a professional route. You just mentioned that you have, uh, you know, status in the mckenzie Tour. You now have status on the Latin America Tour. There are a lot of different options. Obviously, the end goal is to get to the PGA Tour and to win on the PGA Tour. But, you know, I, I'm I'm curious, how do you chart out your approach to professional golf with all these different options? You could be a, you know, mini tour uh, guy that just tries to chase Mondays. You can play the state opens. You can. I mean, there's so many different directions you can go and you can go to China. You can go. any how do you how did you kind of make your plan to go this direction?
1: So basically, I just kind of took took it from the end goal. I looked at it as what was, where did I want to be? Where do I see myself? And obviously, for a lot of guys, end goal was PGA Tour. And so I just kind of took it as okay, what's, what's the fastest way for me to get there? And I mean, I think the fastest way to get there, um, other than, I mean, if you don't have the ability to do what Matt Wolf and Victor and Colin did this past year, the fastest way is through Corn Ferry and then either China, McKenzie, or, or Latin America. Um, so I went to, um, Q school last year for corn Ferry and, uh, had to start it at, 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 uh, pre-qualifying. Um, so I got through there and then, uh, went to first stage in, uh, in Lakeland and that place is just a birdie fest. And so I finished at 10 under one shot short of, of getting to second stage. Um, so then next few months I was just kind of like, Okay, next step, probably Latin and Canada, just try and give myself as many opportunities. So I just kind of played mini tour events in that in that time being, just getting ready for Latin and Canadian Q school. And I kinda had the, the idea because Latin splits their schedule yeah. where they play spring and fall, I was like, All right, I, I wanna do both, you know, I'll try and double dip and get get as much opportunity i can because why not you know um so basically my approach assuming everything goes back to normal uh is just to play the i got first first eight starts in latin and so gonna play gonna play those and see how those go and then go into canada and by by the time latin starts up i'll have enough starts in in latin and canada to kind of figure out which events to play because they kind of overlap um, towards the end of Canada and the be beginning of the second half of Latin schedule. So my, to kind of recap all of that, I, sure. I said a lot, no, no, you're but um, my kind of just wanted to give myself as much opportunity as possible to get to that next level, um, whatever that looks like. So just playing a bunch of Q schools um, because, you know, you you see a lot of guys playing a bunch of mini tour events and making Pretty good money for mini tour events, but kind of what I had on my mind was just progress, you know, getting to that next level. Because I mean, Q school expensive, so yeah. there's a lot of guys that kind of opt out of it just because of that. And I was like, you know what? Like, it's if I want to get to that next level, it's gotta, it, I gotta go this way.
0: I know there are probably tons of things that you've already learned by being a professional just in this short amount of time, but um, things that you've learned as a professional that perhaps you didn't even think of until you actually got there and and started surrounding yourself with guys that are trying to do the same thing you're doing, they're trying to play professionally, they're trying to do this for a living. Uh, Maybe what are some of the things that you've learned that uh, maybe has surprised you?
1: You know, you always hear about it that like in professional golf, everyone's good. And like you don't really realize it until you get out here, and like the guy that you're beating every week in college is now is now beating you, and you're like, wow, how did this happen? Because in college, you know, you can you can shoot even to the five under every week, and and have a uh, one of the best uh, careers in college, if we're, if we're being honest. Yeah. But um, in in professional golf, you got to shoot five under most days to keep up. And so kind of just that mentality of showing up every day and knowing that I got to, I got to play good. Like I can't just shoot even out here and walk and walk home and be satisfied. I got to keep on going lower. And, you know, I think that's kind of motivated me to understand that like when I'm low to just keep on going. Cause now that's kind of what, what I did in college was I'd be three under and be like, okay, I can, I can, I can cruise.
0: Cut, I'm here. I'm coasting. I'm, I did. Yeah. Move. Okay. Yeah.
1: Where like you get to three under through nine. It's like, okay. Like the guy right next to me is four under <laughs> we, we right. got to go low on lower. Um, so I think that's just kind of like kind of been really motivating and kind of seeing how other guys do it. Um, you know, just every everyone out here can get the ball up and down from, from anywhere and make a putt. So um, you know, when, when people tell younger kids to practice a short game, it, they ain't kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this far you, you mentioned something about uh about uh Wanamoisa, you know, the Northeast, you mentioned about the fact that it's a par sixty nine and it's a it's a short course and you but you still have to play. I know that distance is something that really dominates the the game of golf right now and especially uh, on the pro ranks. And, you know, I, I was talking to Colt Nost and, and he just retired from the PGA tour and he was just saying how It seems that a lot of the younger guys are coming up and it's all about launch angles and carrying the ball and just, you know, hit it out there and send it as far as you can and just find it, hack it on, make some putts. And perhaps that the skill level isn't isn't what it used to be. How do you balance, you know, distance, but also have the ability to, you know, hit a cut seven iron up into the wind or you know, have these, these unique shots and deal with situations where you have to be a ball striker.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I honestly, I, I would consider myself a, a longer hitter, but I think I play in a shorter hitters mindset. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, cause I, I kind of like use my link to an advantage to kind of give myself the best opportunities. So like, a lot of courses where some guys are hitting driver, I'll, I'll pull three wood or, or two iron and be a little short of them, but hitting the same club or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of continuing to make my game versatile. You know, like there's never a, sh- there's never a time where you conquer every shot. So just setting up on the range and instead of just hitting balls and trying to get in good positions, like, like trying to work it into flags and stuff like that. Like you were saying, like it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. It's to, to be able to hit shots that other guys can't. It's what separates people. I mean, you look at tiger, like there's shots that he hits that other guys can't because he's, he's practiced those shots.
0: No, that's, that's, that's well said. Um, I want to get you out of here. Uh, I can't, I uh, can't not mention the fact that if anyone pulls up a picture of you online, they will see that you are wearing a foot joy Shirt or a uh, a a Titleist hat, so uh, you are partnered up with, with Titleist, and mm-hmm. um, you know, whenever I get the chance to embarrass any of my guests, especially if they are professionals, you know, I just can't resist that. So tell <laughs> me, so tell me about the first time that you realized that you're going to be getting some free stuff from Titleist wedges, shirts, hats, whatever. Did you have a rookie moment where your friends at Titleist or FootJoy? had to pull you aside and say, okay, you're a professional now. You can't act like a kid on Christmas getting free stuff all the time. You know, this is like your job. Um, did, did you have any moments like that where you had to kind of catch yourself uh, being kind of a kid in a candy store? You know, I
1: can't really think of any, but, um, you know, like sophomore year was when I first first um, got the, the deal. that I think they put me on their elite amateur program. And so that was kind of like – my first feeling of, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. Like, (laughs) like I get to, I get free stuff like awesome. (laughs) Um, and it was kind of funny, like, uh, you know, you know, Bubba, um, my, one of my footjoy guys, I I love that guy. Um, but it was kind of funny. He, I was always sometimes like afraid to ask for too much, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't want to take advantage of it. So, he, he actually was like, man, you got you to gotta ask for more stuff. Like, you, I know there's stuff that you need that you're not asking for. I was like, okay, like, you're
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you probably think like, hey, you know, I'm not Adam Scott. I'm not Web Simpson. I don't know what I'm supposed to ask for. Like, so what was the first thing you asked for that made you uncomfortable? Or that like you had to step out of your comfort zone and say, you know, hey, I, I need this. I need that. Yeah, I think the
1: first time I asked for some my joys,
0: oh, you know, where oh, I
1: could customize my own. Right. Um, that was the first time I was like, "All right, this might be a little sketch, but we're we're gonna go for it because <laughs> these are sick."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I heard you're a wingtip guy. Uh, I got some people out there that are like, "Yeah, this guy he likes the wingtips."
1: Yeah the the wingtips, and the, I'm, I'm I'm kind of on a tr- uh, icon traditional. Um, phase got, right now yeah, yeah. yeah they're you know I've I've been I've my fair share of wingtips but I'm on the I'm on the traditionals right now just the saddles they're kind of fitting my style right now this is, but this is tur- I love this
0: is turning into a Titleist FootJoy episode they're not spo- oh, yeah. they're not sponsoring this episode by the way but so like so <laughs> is how- this is this ambush marketing this is I think this I don't know what this is but I was like <laughs> I, 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 I'm just curious you guys get these deals and it's like at some point you're not, I mean, I don't picture you, we've never met, but just by talking to you, I don't picture you as the guy rolling into the Titleist trailer with a big order and then saying, yeah, I need these bent and these ground down. And are you a wedge stamp guy? Um, a little. Okay. So
1: that I have, I have on all my wedges, I have my, my initials stamped on there. AS. So, you know, I can, I'm not going to sell them and say they're Adam Scott's. That's just not right. Um, but I got, but, I got.
0: But, but you thought of it, apparently. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got the same initials. So who, ha- who wouldn't think about of it? Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, and then, I, one of my favorite things about my wedges is I, I do them in five five degree increments. So I have a, I have a pitching wedge that's forty five degrees, and then a gap wedge 50, 50 degrees, and then sand wedge fifty five, and my sixty is 60 obviously um so my 45 and 55 are bent and so they have little degrees like 55 degrees and 45 degrees stamped on them and that's just kind of cool you know just a little thing but i'm hoping one day me and me and aaron dill can come up with some something in our imagination make them really cool but for the time being i'll just stick with my initials there you go
0: um well, Austin, I, I I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a kind of a challenging time for for anyone that is, uh, you know, starting a career in in any field. And, and I know you're starting it, trying to be, a, you know, a professional golfer playing on the PGA Tour. So I know it's a challenging time. I appreciate you taking time out and talking to me. And um, you know, hopefully we'll do this again soon, and uh, we'll get out on the golf course again soon. So, I know.
1: I'm, I need this mojo to kick in. I, I
0: it is it, <laughs> all of the mojo is is safe here uh it is waiting to be distributed to everyone that comes onto the podcast to get them out and uh, and get them uh, successful so um so we'll do it again soon i appreciate you stopping by the back of the range and uh all the best to you stay safe all
1: right you too appreciate it
0: and there you have it special thanks to austin squires for joining me here today at the back of the range make sure you're following along on facebook twitter and instagram a lot of that information is available in the show notes of this episode If you have any questions, go to thebackoftherange.com and shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time, here for another episode, At the Back of the Range.